the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Hope you've had a good weekend and are ready uh, for a busy week. A lot happening in Washington, D.C., good and bad. Some of it, uh, much of it bad, unfortunately. But uh, we'll cover some of that, including and especially the immigration problem, the problem on the border. Uh, But first... Let's uh, let one me walk through a few things. First of all, thank you for joining us here on the Pro America Report. It's Ed Martin here. Uh, please visit ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there for the uh, the Substack that I run. In a moment, I'll talk about Matt Taibbi's Substack, uh, but that's where I do a little bit of long, more longer writing, and I send out an email probably twice a week there. And I hope you'll go there and sign up. Also, please visit PhyllisSchlafly.com, and you will be able to sign up for our daily email, the Daily Wink, which goes out every morning at eight a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific time. It's what you need to know, W-Y-N-K, the wink. And you're going to want that. A couple of links in the wink, a couple of uh, comments. Uh, I usually like a, a story to point to. And then one sort of take-home point at the very beginning, uh, maybe a paragraph or two. Nothing long to read, nothing to overdo it on, but you'll enjoy it. So please go there and sign up. Well, I also do every one of these segments at the beginning of the program. It's called the wink also. And so, and I usually, usually match up depending on what's happening in the in intervening hours from the time I do this uh, segment to when we send that wink out. Uh, but today I want to highlight for you something that I noticed. I wish I had been ahead a little faster uh, because I, I could have been the one that sort of did what Neil W. McCabe, Neil McCabe, if you follow him, he's a very good writer. He writes all over the place um, and he has a piece called um, Will the Military Roll with a Trump Win, which posted earlier Monday uh, over at Red State, redstate.com. And Neil McCabe is a very, very good writer, been around for a while, um, does a good job, and especially is good because he sees what's happening and then writes about it. Now, I would not ever say that he's an aggregator or a, a summarizer because he has more uh, original thoughts and original and, and original ideas, how he puts things together. That's the case here. But he did take a complex story that was beginning to develop, uh, and the story had to do with um, uh, Matt Taibbi, who um, has on, on Friday last week posted a lengthy piece on what his substack is called, which is Racket News. Uh, mine, of course, is called the Pro-America Report. His is called Racket News. Taibbi has a piece that says, is the electoral fix already in? 
And he goes on. The subtitle is the 2024 presidential race increasingly looks like will be decided by lawyers, not voters, as the Democrats unveil plans for America's first lawfare election. Then Taibbi goes through a lengthy piece and he he talks about a ton of stuff. Well, you should read that. I encourage you to. But also, if you just go read McCabe, Neil McCabe, Neil McCabe lays out what's going on and and sort of draws the conclusions about what's happening and what he's seeing and also about some history. Um, we've talked about it before, but the Transition Integrity Project, which was is now four years old, um, was launched uh, back in the summer of 2020. And really did have, uh, I think, a, a major impact on the election, but it's unknown. It's not been described, except in McCabe's piece, he talks about it with some uh, some uh, facts and backup and some actually some coverage by his red state uh, colleague, Nick Arema. So here's what's going on. NBC wrote a piece, uh, published a piece a week or two ago, maybe three weeks ago, and it said this fears grow that Trump will use the military in dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House. That's the headline. And then it goes on to describe how those fears of uh, people's is making people think, what can we do? How can we stop him? And when you look at these things together, what you suddenly realize is they're willing to do anything to stop this guy, including, you know, use the election, use the, the, the tools to stop the election or to swing the election or to change the election, just like they did in 2020. They admit that in 2020, they said, we're going to use everything we can, every tool we can find, they say, to legally influence the election. Many of us think they did illegally, too, but they admit legally go into court in Pennsylvania, get a friendly judge and a friendly uh, secretary of state character. I think it was a county uh, election official to cut a deal and get more access to uh, mail in ballots. They did that on and on and on. They use COVID as a way to say it's an emergency so that mail in ballots will be uh, uh, encouraged and not questioned. Well, McCabe walks through and talks about who's behind this. And one of the people behind all of the, the tip in 2020 was Norm Eisen, Norm Eisen. And that, again, Red State covered that another reporter of his, Jennifer O'Connell, uh, covered that. And so what McCabe does is pull all these strings together. And he basically says, if you look at this, you have to be really naive to not see that something is afoot. Now, I think the most important part of what McCabe pulled out of this is that there is a one figure who is at the heart of this whole thing. Her name is Rosa Brooks. She's a Georgetown law professor um, who was one of the key. I think she was the executive director of the Transition Integrity Project. Maybe she's a co-founder. I can't remember. But I think she played a role, an administrator role, too. She's a former Pentagon official under Obama. She's written numerous times at foreign policy and other places and far, far uh, out of the mainstream. She wrote a column that is uh, from January 30th of 2017, and this is in McCabe's story. Her, her foreign policy column is called Three Ways to Get Rid of President Trump Before 2020. She talked about a military coup. She talked about impeachment, and she talked about the 25th Amendment. Now, think of that. This is a woman who teaches at, at, at uh, Georgetown Law, who has a prominent position there. I think she runs at one of the institutes or is in one of the leaderships, assistant dean or something. And she's she's a former Pentagon official under Obama. She's written a column saying ways to get rid of Trump, including a military coup. This is before the election in 2020. Then she organizes the Transition Integrity Project 
And that is focused on basically what are the ways that you could have a color revolution kind of action in in America in, in 2020. And then it's a lot of it happens, of course. A lot of it happens in the context of, of January 6th, for example, where there certainly looks like some people were acting in ways that we recognize from other parts of the world and history in terms of a color revolution. And so you get into this piece and you suddenly realize that at the very end, McKay puts this together. He says, you know, Milley is drawn in, of course, General Milley, who made incredible comments about how he's in charge and how he should do things. And you finish this and you say to yourself, it sounds like civilian control of the military only works if you like the civilian coming in. That civilian control of the military is a fiction for these people because they don't really mean it. They, what they mean is if they like the military, if they like the direction of things, if they think that it's OK and if they think that it's the, the person that they want and the way they want it, because there's nothing in the history of Trump's term, President Trump's term of transition that, that actually comports with any of these threats or any of these fears. But as you know, if you say it enough, if you get coverage enough, if NBC covers it like they did. You have more and more people who say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we we really have to do something. We have to we, we, we have to do something. In the um, in the in the uh, there's an open letter to uh, General Milley, which some re uh, retired members of the military, you know, recently retired. They talk about uh, how they have to, you know, tr Trump is is such a threat that he has to be they have to be planning for things and and be checking things. And it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. So here's what's going on. Taibbi's piece runs on Friday. McCabe covers it on uh, Monday. This is all happening in the last four or five days. And now you're getting some attention on what exactly is happening. Because if we don't get some sunshine on this, if we don't get some serious focus on what's going on, it's uh, the opposite of what was feared could go on. In other words, Trump could win and we could see that, oh, well, we've got to do something to stop this guy. We can't let him take power. We can't allow that. We, we know better than everyone else. That's what it sure sounds like when you read uh, Professor Brooks, Rosa Brooks, uh, and what she's written and what she talks about and how she does it. So here's what I would say. I recommend very, very strongly this piece. I'll put the link up. Neil McCabe, understanding <clears throat> exactly the setup that's happening. And see if you can uh, if you get the same reaction I do and then watch for what I think will be growing coverage. I think there'll be some grow significant growing coverage of this uh, story that uh, Taibbi started and McCabe is now giving more uh, putting more flesh to the flesh on the bones and see where it goes. Um, my own opinion. My own opinion is more than ever, the powers that be are afraid of an administration that is hostile to them. More than ever, they were shocked. They were stunned. They were surprised by Trump beating Hillary. It wasn't supposed to happen. But they did everything they had to to make his first term in office just an absolute tie-up. And then they did the 2020 election. And it was another absolute tie-up. But now they know they've been exposed on so many fronts, whether it's the uh, the front of the uh, the 51 um, uh, liars on the Biden laptop letter or just the general uh, uh, conduct of Milley and others. And they're more afraid than ever and afraid people that are afraid backed in a corner will do a lot to protect themselves. That's what it feels like to me. So take a look at that. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, very interesting, his book, uh, which I was sent um, a week or two ago, and I, I went through it in a couple of nights, Beat the Incumbent, Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. Just out about a week and a half ago, it came out and uh, from Radius Book Group. His name is Louis Perone. Uh, he's a Dr. Louis Perone, a PhD, uh, who has been active all across the world, actually, uh, in, in races and campaigns uh, everywhere in the world. He himself uh, comes from Europe originally. And uh, his book, again, is Beat the Incumbent. Welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, used to say one of the best ways that she came to understand candidates and campaigns was to lose. She ran for Congress as a young woman and lost. I had the same experience, actually. And when I say that, I mean that there's nothing like the experience of having been in a re- in a race and, 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 and making the mistakes and also succeeding. Is that your experience, too? I mean, you, you it looks like you're, many of your candidates win their races, but there's something about having a lost where you have to figure it out more than when you won. Yes, I would absolutely agree with your former boss. <laughs> Actually, if you think about it, many great politicians have <laughs> lost a race early in their career. And it's right. true in the US, it's true internationally. And I think it's true. Um, losing, especially when you're early in your career, teaches you some lessons. And I think it's a very humbling experience. And yes, I've learned a lot myself from clients with whom I've lost. Uh, our guest is again Louis Perron, and his book is uh, out available anywhere books are. I'm looking at, I think I've got mine up open on uh, Amazon, but it, the book again is Beat the Incumbent Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. How significantly has the world changed in terms of uh, technology and messaging and, 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 excuse me, technology and messaging? Meaning, you know, it used to be you'd, you'd craft a message, you'd, you'd probably try it on the stump, you'd talk about it, maybe you'd do an interview, you'd do some mail. Now you're on X or on Facebook Live within 30 seconds. It's good and bad. You can find out quickly what doesn't work or does work. But it also means that people, I think, expect something immediate more. It seems like it's gotten more challenging than ever to be a candidate. Definitely, because uh, public opinion has become more volatile, which Mm -hmm. is an advantage for challengers. People are more willing to take a risk. But of course, speed has increased dramatically. I mean, it used to be a new cycle of what, like 24 hours? Now it's practically (laughs) nonstop new cycle. Um, The tools have changed dramatically. Uh, We have uh, much different tools available now. Even actually, besides my consulting, I'm also teaching political marketing for more than 10 years. And if I compare during those 10 years, I mean, the environment in which campaigns take place, the media environment has changed dramatically. All that said, the fundamentals and basics of strategy have actually not changed that much. And I must say, probably will never change much. I think you still need a message. You need discipline. You need a strategy on how you will reach your target audience. And having a plan and a message and a strategy is even more important than ever to manage the chaos. And I'm telling candidates, if you don't have it before you enter this, it, it will it, you'll not do it later on and it will just uh, end up in chaos 
Uh, we're, we're again, we're talking with uh, Louis Perone. Uh, Dr. Louis Perone is a consultant all over the world on, on political campaigns and messaging. His book is Beat the Incumbent, Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. Uh, you, you know, the how about um, this moment in history? In your book, you actually talk, I thought was one of the sections I found the most interesting um, in some sense when you, you were talking about that you 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 there's more uh, moving beyond traditional left and right. And, and, and to be honest, that. That sounds a little like a that can be a cliche to people, you know, don't don't get caught on the left or the right or whatever. But what I would say is the populist message now in the modern moment, whether you're talking about Europe or you're talking about America, you know, you suddenly have the environmentalists will will be um, with you if you're a, a, a market capitalist, if you want to oppose the big corporations. I mean, there's a there's a part of this sort of populist uh, thing. You know, there was an, a quote in Politico from the Davos uh, period a week or two ago where the, 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 the author said the Davos uh, attendees have no idea what to make of all this populism. That is that is that new, uh, Lewis? Is it new? Populism is it new? How we're feeling it because of the the the, the social media immediacy? What, what's going on there? I think what's going on is that people are more willing to take a risk on populists or on outsiders. Mm. I mean, if you look mm. at Argentina, yeah, uh, for example, just the last example, I think Donald Trump in 2016 was really actually an outsider. So I think what's happening is that public opinion has become more volatile and people are more willing to take a risk on them. And of course, it's a great advantage for challengers. I mean, I write about some people in the book, for example, Zelensky. Right. Uh, Zelensky was a comedian. Uh, <laughs> and the first office he ever ran for was the presidency of Ukraine. And right. I think he won in large part because people were really not just unhappy with the status quo, but really angry with with the entire political class. So by voting for him, they actually wanted to get rid of the entire political class. I have other people I write about, for example, Macron, who was part of the incumbent government, but stepped down as a minister and founded his own party, left the Socialist Party where he belonged before, founded his own movement. And I think if the exact same Macron would not have left the government, left the party and founded his own movement, his claim to be for change would not never have been as credible. Uh, we're talking with Louis uh, Perone, Dr. Louis Perone, uh, by the way, uh, on I, I like on your uh, on your LinkedIn profile, it says I make mayors, governors and presidents. That's the tagline. I think it's fantastic. It made me smile. Uh, his book is just out just a week or two ago. Beat the incumbent uh, power, proven strategies and tactics to win elections. Two quick questions. One. The power of the incumbent, you know, in America, it's unbelievably powerful to be the incumbent in Europe. Same thing. And maybe a related topic is, you know, you know, you mentioned Macron left a ministry position, started his own movement and was able to succeed. America, that's not possible, right? You're either Republican or Democrat. These people that do third party talk, you may get to you may get your voice heard, but you're not going to actually get into office. That's not a path forward. I guess the my point here is. There is a it feels like there's a growing trap that the powerful, the in power have over the rest of us. Is that worse than it's been before or is it just how I'm feeling about it? Probably it's uh, how you're feeling about it. But <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I think in the end, the politicians are quite a good, actually, representation of the country they're leading. 
if you think about it, in a way, Donald Trump, he is very, very American, no? And right. uh, I think if the exact same Donald Trump would have been born in Germany, he may have done some great real estate in Frankfurt, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he not have reason to a- any the, the hierarchy of any of the, the major parties. And the other way around, I mean, if you think about it, Angela Merkel should have been born an American I, I doubt she would make it through a primary. I mean, she would probably have been a professor of chemistry in Harvard, <laughs> but I doubt she would have won even a primary election. So in the end, people represent their countries really well. And I think it's actually a key thing if you want to lead, whether you're an outsider or not, you have to uh, touch the nerve of your country, of your time. Now, going back to the other question that you mentioned before about the incumbency advantage, still is a factor, of course. And uh, in the US in particular, a big part of it, especially for congressional races, is fundraising. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have barely ever seen an incumbent that is not at least at par with his challenges with respect to fundraising. Right. And I mean, that's just one aspect of the incumbency advantage that you really have to milk and maximize. And I think it's part of the reason why many congressional races are not competitive. Yeah, it's um, it, I think I agree with you. By the way, I should have set up a little bit better, even though uh, uh, Dr. Lewis Perone, our guest, is uh, over and based in Zurich and all over the world. He, I, I think I have it right that you studied in America at the at George Washington University. Is that is that is that right? Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, twenty years ago. Yeah, right? yes, great so, experience. Yeah, so I you have it in D.C. <laughs> because uh, I felt like everybody in the city is like me. <laughs> that's so finally, I'm in a place where everybody's like me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> interesting. All right. Well, the book again. is... Is beat the incumbent, uh, Dr. Lewis Perone. I will put it up on social media. We're at a break, unfortunately. I've got to go, uh, and uh, we will make sure to uh, link to all that. Very interesting, interesting book. Very good. I read a lot of these books, and I, I was very uh, intrigued and challenged. And so we'll take a break, though, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, Roger Stone. I've known him for years and years and years. I can picture a couple of key moments in history. Two days before the famous, famous St. Louis debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I think the Friday before I got a phone call from Roger, and I won't even tell you all the details. I hope someday in his memoir he covers it, because other people claim credit for things that happened a lot that it was Roger Stone uh, that did. But Roger Stone joins us now, and it's just this week is the anniversary of what is, when we've been talking about due process denied and due process demanded. What happened to Roger Stone uh, and, and his home at the crack of dawn five years ago this week is still one of the more stunning betrayals of the system in terms of uh, the way they leak things and set things up. And so uh, it's not a good anniversary, uh, Roger, but if there's anybody that keeps uh, surviving and thriving, it's Roger Stone. So welcome back. How are you? Hey, great to be with you. You're exactly right. It was uh, five years ago yesterday that 29 heavily armed, fully SWAT clad FBI agents 
swarmed my home at six o'clock in the morning to arrest me for the first time nonviolent but fabricated crime of lying under oath to Congress in my voluntary testimony regarding Russian collusion, which, of course, we now know doesn't exist. Right. You can't lie about something that didn't happen. <laughs> what would right. be your motive? Right. Their motive was very clear to fabricate these process crimes against me in order to pressure me to testify falsely against Donald Trump. In other words, Robert Mueller and his partisan thugs, by the way, every prosecutor in my case had formerly worked for Hillary Clinton, were seeking to pressure me after they couldn't find any evidence of Russian collusion, despite their sweeping legal authority and their unlimited budget and manpower, they couldn't find the Russian collusion cause, well, it didn't exist. So they wanted to invent it. They wanted me to testify regarding 29 phone calls I had had with candidate Trump during 2016. They had records that the calls took place. They had no records, obviously, of the content of those calls. They wanted me to testify falsely that this pertained to coordinating with WikiLeaks mm -hmm. and the Russians or some other nonsense. And as you know, uh, I refused. Right. And therefore, I was subjected to a Soviet-style show trial. I was bankrupted because uh, everything, uh, I lost my home, my car, most of my insurance, my savings, my livelihood, because I was gagged the way Donald Trump is gagged now by a D.C. judge. I was gagged on not permitted to defend myself. And uh, the whole thing is, is a nightmare. On the other hand, it caused me to reevaluate my life, to renew my relationship with Jesus Christ. So although I may be today materially much poorer, I am spiritually much richer, uh, and I live to fight for freedom another day. Well, we're talking with Roger Stone. And Roger, by the way, it's it's uh, I got it right. I think that it's uh, stonedefensefund.com, right? People can go that want to support because the ongoing, as we were talking offline, every time something happens, Roger Stone gets attacked in the press. But that's the least of it. He still has litigation. He still has costs. And that's is that right? Stonedefensefund.com, Roger? That, 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 is, that is correct. So lawfare, the same kind of thing Donald Trump is going through. I still have 11 totally baseless, totally meritless, totally groundless lawsuits filed against me by by George Soros front groups and other left-wing crackpots. There were once 17. Right. We have favorably disposed of six of these cases. Uh, it doesn't matter how crazy their accusations are. You have to defend yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, they enter a right. default, default judgment. Yeah. In the latest nonsense, a, a left-wing website called Mediaite, which is kind of an MSNBC offshoot, has posted a completely phony AI-generated audio in which they claim that I plotted the murder of two Democrat members of Congress. Now, Ed, I had these immediately sent out for forensic examination. That cost a few bucks, but right. they were proven to be totally fraudulent. They they drop in background noise to make the, the right. AI creation of your voice. But Ed, if I have a seven-second snippet of your voice, for 130 bucks, I can have an audio made of you plotting a bank robbery. Yeah. Uh, and, no, no, no. It is. It is. Like yeah. It. No, it's so, so dangerous. By the way, rogerstone.substack.com is the place to go to read Roger's stuff. This one on the IV, uh, FBI stormed my home and arrested me five years ago today that was posted this week. Roger, I want to ask you two specific questions about what happened that day as you look back on it. One is about how the prosecutors leaked to CNN, and that's confirmed now. At the time, we all knew it. It was too weird that CNN. 
CNN somehow had legwork and got to your house. But the second part of that was the court's role in that. And and my question here is when you talk about due process, Roger, there's lots of aspects of it. But one of the things that due process you'd expect, especially in federal court and state court sometimes or local court, it can be wild. Federal court, you're supposed to have an impartial judge, meaning someone who could put aside their biases and do the job. You're supposed to have a fair playing field as a defendant. This is a stark example of due process denied in in your inst- in this instance of the of the raid specifically. Yeah, I mean very specifically, I was arrested at six oh six in the morning. Right uh, at six eleven, actually, I think it was. Uh, Sarah Murray of CNN texted uh, a copy of my sealed indictment to one of my lawyers. Now it had no court markings on it, no timestamp. It wasn't unsealed by a D.C. magistrate until 1030 that morning. So how could it be that CNN had this document when you looked at the metadata tags? Right. It had the, the initials of the prosecutor who wrote it, the epically corrupt Andrew Weissman. He's the same guy, by the way, who under when John Durham was investigating the Mueller investigation uh, and had a subpoena for the cell phones of the mother prosecutors, it was Weissman who wiped all their memories clear. Now, if I well, and, that, and, 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 and Roger, let me say the 1512 charge that's being used against Donald Trump and everybody else was designed by Andrew Weissman back when he was in the government and is, was pushed at the time. And Mueller, when he was working for Mueller, I mean, Andrew Weissman is at the center of a lot of this stuff. Uh, and epically corrupt. I mean, the, the, the guy, this guy goes on MSNBC with some kind of moral superiority. Sammy yeah. the Bull Gravano killed 22 men for which he has never been held responsible because Andrew Weissman shielded him. Uh, there's a documentary and a book in this uh, because this guy is the single most corrupt prosecutor in U.S. history. He waxes on and on about the Enron case. In the Enron case, we did this. and the, Enro- the Enron case was overturned, and the judge <laughs> excoriated him for right. prosecutorial misconduct. Don't right. use a badge. It's a disgrace. Right, right, right. But back, back, because I don't want to lose this thread. I was talking to Roger Stone, by the way, and I'll put up on social media again, stonedefensefund.com to support Roger in his, uh, in his many, many, his dozens of law uh, suits. The lawfare has been waged against him. And also rogerstone.substack.com. Uh, and of course, the Stone Zone, he's all over the place. But back for one second, the courts were in your, in the raid on your house. What became clear was not only that the press had the, had the sealed documents, but the court didn't want to look into it, right? They didn't care. My lawyers took it to the judge immediately and she could care less. Right. I mean, look, here's what we also know that a year after my pardon, uh, BuzzFeed, of all people, sued Robert Mueller to get the long hidden, long redacted final uh, copy of his report regarding Roger Stone. Uh, And when we got it, we learned that Mueller admitted in writing that he had found no crime on my part, no Russian collusion, no WikiLeaks collaboration, no crime whatsoever. Now, we had asked the judge, my defense lawyers had asked the judge at trial for that document. She denied it to us. She said she would read the document and give us any relevant sections, but she never gave us that exculpatory section because it completely undercut the government's case. Hmm. So, uh, no, uh, no. Look, the District of Columbia, no Republican, no Trump supporter, no free thinker, no conservative uh, can ever get a fair trial uh, in D.C. between the jury makeups. And unfortunately, most uh, of the judges who who don't even bother to hide their bias, the judge in my case, 
uh, in my sentencing said, you have been convicted of covering up for Donald Trump. Sorry, Your Honor, absolutely false. Not one of the charges, and no evidence <laughs> of that was produced uh, right. at my trial. Right. Uh, but today, uh, Ed, I can't go to the drugstore or the grocery store or the liquor store uh, uh, or through an airport without somebody calling me a Russian traitor. So they yeah. must never have followed the actual trial because Roger Stone did nothing wrong. The, yeah. the government uh, jammed no, you so- up on these ridiculous process cards. Mr. Yeah. Stone, did, well, you, I- did, you get an e- did you get an email on August 9th uh, from uh, Steve Bannon? Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't I don't recall. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, well, here it is. Well, wait a minute. That's a link to that day's Washington Post front page story. So what? What right. does that prove? Doesn't, exactly. Doesn't matter. No. You, you no, no, no. It's uh, it's uh, Roger Stone. Uh, thank you. And we're out of time, unfortunately. But it is the lawfare is unbelievable. And and more importantly, what you said, the, the narrative machine, big government working with big tech and big media slurs a guy like Roger Stone so that they, they and they make misery on him. Thank God for his wife and his friends and his faith, because otherwise I, I, I the the the, the uh, bitterness would be, be, I think, be profound. But we got to run to take a break. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Last year, Ohio voters passed issues one and two that were related to abortion and marijuana using a ballot initiative. The vote was drummed up by out-of-state organizations and paid for by liberal billionaires. The Republican response to questions about Ohio issues one and two should be that some issues are not suitable for the popular vote, as most states recognize by forbidding ballot initiatives from bypassing the legislature. We don't allow any type of initiative or referendum at the national level because our founders who framed our Constitution wisely rejected direct democracy. Yet the liberal media is misusing ballot initiatives to bully Republican legislators into breaking their campaign promises on which they were elected. There is no such thing as a particular will of the people and candidates should honor their campaign pledges rather than allowing out of state billionaires to rewrite their laws in a harmful way. Republicans reject the call for a national popular vote to pick our president, and instead that office is filled by the Electoral College. Republican candidates for president should campaign on defending our Republican form of government against the progressive strategy of direct democracy. Our Declaration of Independence stands entirely against infringement on God-given rights by popular vote or by any other means. That timeless document describes the concept of unalienable rights as a self-evident truth. Yet Donald Trump's rivals for president seem to think everything is fair game for ballot initiatives. The Ohio legislature, with its Republican supermajority, could and should overturn the cannabis issue to ballot initiative and prevent Ohio from becoming a decadent culture of that pungent weed. The marijuana-saturated states of California and Colorado are hemorrhaging in population. And Midwest legislators should not allow liberal mistakes to transform the middle of our country based on improper ballot initiatives. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height jumping into the booth real quick here to fill out the show for Mr. Ed Martin. He had to dash uh, onto another meeting, but uh, I had something I wanted to wrap up with today, and I am allowed to do that. I'm able to, and I'm here with you to finish it up. So uh, thank you for being with us today for a great show. It's a good time. A couple of great guests there. And uh, as always, you can go over to both ProAmericaReport.com. That is Ed's Substack. You'll see what he's writing there, a lot of the different things going on. Subscribe to that so you can keep keep track of it. And also go to phyllisschlafly.com. There you can subscribe to the daily wink email that'll hit your inbox every morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time, uh, 7 a.m. Central, all the other time zones concurrently. And I guarantee you will not be sorry. That's also at phyllisschlafly.com where you can find all the podcasts, standalone guests, the notes and links and resources from each of these shows. There's a lot of good stuff over there. Head on over uh, and definitely go find it, bookmark it and sign up for the email list. So you can keep track and send it to some friends and family uh, and and get some good conversations going. And that uh, is a little bit of what I wanted to talk about here in the wrap up. Um, I just had a good conversation today with our friends over at Liberty Sentinel, uh, Alex Newman and uh, the folks there. I know that's probably a name familiar to some of you who's been on the show. We do a lot with him at the Phyllis Schlafly world if you're over on that side of the equation. Uh, But they talk quite a bit about uh, our worldview, the Christian heritage in America, the basic worldview, traditional values and morals, uh, what America used to be and still can be again, and how it intertwines into politics and culture. They're they're in the same uh, vein as a lot of the things that we are doing here at the Pro-America Report. But we had a good conversation today about the very interesting topic of Christians in civic engagement, Christians who vote or don't vote, Christians who are involved in politics or not. And this gets to be a really interesting and dicey topic. But there's a there's an upcoming uh, documentary film that I wanted to put your attention to. Uh, obviously, we we are big fans of people who speak the truth around here. The Epic Times is, of course, one of our favorite news sources. In fact, <laughs> one of the only real news sources left. Uh, the Epic Times they always do a wonderful job. But more than just report on news and headlines, what the Epic Times does an incredible job of is digging in to a topic, actually exploring the themes, the philosophy, the 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 faith, the whatever are the values that underline an issue. And they go back, they have a great historical perspective, a great a forward-looking perspective in light of all of the things. They, they never are one that can be said is lacking context. That's for sure. But they've got a really cool film adaptation uh, premiering on February 8th. Eric Metaxas, a great conservative uh, thinker and speaker, uh, radio host, all kinds of stuff. He is one of our favorite authors around here. He wrote a book uh, very recently. Recently. I think it was actually, was it last year that it came out? Um, the uh, A Letter to the American Church. And that is being turned into a documentary. It premieres February 8th uh, in the evening on Epic TV. I would encourage you to look it up. I'll put a link to it in the uh, show, but uh, in the show notes. But Eric Metaxas, uh, in this book, and then, of course, in this, this accompanying documentary, the adaptation, uh, he is basically encouraging, uh, through a historical look, uh, for Christians to be modern day 
Bonhoeffers. Now, that is a reference to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it, that was a very, very compelling story. Uh, a man who bravely, uh, boldly spoke up in 1933, in the 1930s, I think, early 30s, warning the German church about the looming uh, crisis that was coming under the Nazi regime as they were rising to power and encouraging the church to speak up and speak out. And there is a really neat history there, but there are some very, very dark and terrifying parallels between his story and ours now, between what we are seeing here in America and what we have seen throughout history under tyrannical regimes at their rise. And there is a pivotal uh, a pivotal part of that story, and it is the church, the church and its people, whether that will be active or whether it will be apathetic and ignore the political situation around them. Now, I, I for one, am a firm believer that civic engagement, political engagement is what I would call a stewardship responsibility for Christians. I think Ed agrees with me. Uh, a lot of us around the Phyllis Schlafly world do. That is absolutely true. But there are a lot of folks in America who do not uh, believe that. And I think that that's a real conversation we need to have because I, it was just looking at this. The numbers get worse and worse and worse every time. Uh, My Faith Votes is a really neat organization. Head over to myfaithvotes.org. Again, I'll drop the link in there. They are one of the premier fo- uh, places that talks about uh, this this problem that one in three Christians does not consistently vote. And yet, you know, if, if we are the ones who have the truth, the right answer, all of these things, these principles that are not only scriptural to those of us who who follow the faith, but just timeless. When you look across the history of the world, why would we not be the ones moving forward and, and leading with this worldview, this return to uh, basic morality, respect for life and property and liberty, these things upon which America was founded? Why would these other two thirds of Christians not get involved? It's a big deal. It's something that we need to understand. And I think that it's something incredibly important. So there's an estimated 25 million Americans, 25, I'm sorry, 25 million Christians who do not vote in presidential elections. And this is old news. This grows all the time. But this is a couple years old. 25 million Christians that don't vote in presidential elections, 65 million Christians that don't participate in their local elections, 15 million aren't even registered voters. And it's absolutely mind boggling to me that this huge section of of the nation that understands the founding principles of America, just inherently, if you're a, a, you know, a Bible-believing Christian that goes to church, don't get out and vote and participate. It is incredibly important. So this documentary, this, this work from Eric Metaxas, A Letter to the American Church, coming out in documentary form from Epic next week, addresses that. I think it's something we should all watch. We should latch on to it. We should send it to some friends and family because you and I both know people who have the right values to lead this country forward in the right and better direction than we're going now who just aren't participating. We got to turn that around. We have got to change it. So there's my little wrap up, my plea today, maybe a what you need to do. Go and watch this. Send it to a friend. That's what we got to do. Uh, but that's all the time I've got. We got to end here the program today. Thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you to our great guests, to Mason, my co-producer, and to Ed for leading the show. Grateful for all of you, especially, that listen and make the Pro-America Report what it is. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, PhyllisLafley.com, get all the podcasts, all of the line, uh, standalone segments, and we will look forward to talking to you back here tomorrow on another edition of the Pro-America Report. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.